Hello, I'm Marcus Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight Podcast, where we examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we'll examine several waves of strange airships that grip the United States, the United Kingdom, and New Zealand at different times between the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Indeed, at a time when there should have been very little in the air, these sightings remain very mysterious and unexplained. The best place to start would be with the first wave of these sightings, which took place during the opening months of 1897 across the United States. Although the very first of these sightings was actually recorded as far back as the previous year. Beginning in November 1896 in the skies of San Francisco, California, a wave of strange airship sightings began. Hundreds of people witnessed a strange craft, travelling at considerable speed and scanning the land below with what appeared to be searchlights. Further sightings were also recorded the same day in Santa Rosa and Sacramento. The sightings continued across the United States over the early months of 1897. Thousands of people witnessed them, and one newspaper report after another detailed each sighting. Many of the accounts unread today are strikingly similar to modern-day UFO reports. The cigar shape and the bright and multicoloured lights that were described are just two examples, as is the descriptions of the quiet but constant whirring sound that was noticed when the airships were sighted. All also mentioned searchlights that would seemingly scan the ground below as if looking for something or conducting some kind of nocturnal survey. Furthermore, as well as the calm plodding nature with which they often moved overhead, they would at times shoot off at great speed as if they had been shot out of a gun. One newspaper report would describe a large glaring light that after hovering for a while would suddenly depart at a most remarkable speed. The sightings would sweep across the United States. Reports would come from Colorado, Kansas, Iowa, Wisconsin and Minnesota. On April 10th, an airship sighting over Chicago, Illinois was witnessed by thousands of people as the city came to a virtual standstill. Eleven days later, on the evening of April 21st in Texas, another airship report came in. This time, however, the witness, John Barclay, claimed he spoke with one of the crew members and his story is as mysterious as it is bizarre. Barclay's dogs woke him from his sleep that evening. They were barking and apparently agitated by something going on outside. As he became more awake and to his senses, he noticed a whirring sound. Barclay, like everyone else, was well aware of the apparent sightings of strange airships and so grabbed his gun and made his way outside of his property. Once outside, he stood in amazement at the sight of a large airship slowly coming down to the ground nearby. He would later describe the ship as being an oblong shape with wings and with side attachments of various sizes and shapes. The amazed Barclay slowly began to approach the airship as it settled down. A figure then approached him from the craft and asked him to lower his gun. He did so and asked the figure his name. Never mind about my name, call it Smith, the figure replied to him, before asking Barclay if he might obtain for him some items that he needed for his journey. He handed him a $10 bill and requested Barclay purchase for him lubricating oil, two cold chisels and blue stone. He told Barclay to keep the change and in return for his kindness, they might call on him some day in the future. 
Perhaps the strangest thing the apparent pilot of the huge airship said to Barclay was his response as to where he was from. From anywhere, he would tell him, but we'll be in Greece the day after tomorrow. And with that, the mysterious man and the airship was gone. Did he mean that he and his crew would be in Greece in 1897? Or perhaps, as some researchers suggest, might their destination have been ancient Greece? In the days and weeks that followed Barclay's sighting, many others found their way into newspapers, and all of the witnesses, like Barclay, were considered respected and honest people by their communities and townsfolk. Just 24 hours later, and around 100 miles from Barclay's sighting in Jocelyn, Texas, was an encounter reported to the Houston Post by Frank Nichols. He stated he was brought from his sleep by a machine-like noise outside his home. When he went to investigate, he saw an airship descending in his field. He claimed the two men carrying buckets approached him and asked if they might draw water from his well. Three days later, on April 25th, in the Texan town of Merkel, a sighting was reported by much of the town when a strange airship with bright lights appeared to drop anchor to the ground below. The anchor dragged along for some time before a figure above apparently cut it free and the airship disappeared into the clouds. On May 6th, during a rainy evening at Hot Springs in the nearby state of Arkansas, a sighting was reported by Deputy Sheriff McLemore and Constable Sumter. A man described as having a long beard approached them while other crew were observed to be stocking up on water, apparently for their upcoming journey. The bearded gentleman offered the two policemen a ride on the airship, stating we can tell you where it isn't raining. Whether the airship sightings were secret technology, alien visitors or even time travellers are not known and still much debated. The sheer volume of reported sightings, however, much like the many sightings made in the decades before, suggests at the very least that something was witnessed by many Americans during the 19th century. The United Kingdom was hit by its own mysterious airship sightings in early 1909, and while several strange incidents were reported as far back as Christmas 1908, the press, and in turn the public, would begin taking notice following incidents on March 23rd. A police constable known as Kettle would tell the London Evening Standard several weeks later of a strange cigar-shaped craft passing over the city. His reports may have been dismissed, however, if it wasn't for the corroborating witness statements of Mr. Banyard and Mrs. Day. Each would witness an almost identical aerial vehicle only two days later. Banyard, for example, would state there was no doubt at all that the object was an airship that was travelling against a very heavy wind. Throughout the rest of March and into April and May 1909, several dozen sightings were reported from all around the United Kingdom, but specifically London, South Wales and East Anglia. The May 17th edition of the London Evening Standard that carried Kettle's account only weeks previously would go on to say, with few exceptions, they, the witnesses, all speak of a torpedo-shaped object possessing two powerful searchlights, which comes out early at night. Indeed, these physical descriptions, as well as the timing of the appearances, at least in retrospect to us today, bear remarkable similarities to the wave of sightings across the United States just over a decade earlier. As the sightings and rumours of strange activity continued, newspapers would send reporters to the regions to investigate, and they would return to their respective employers with a small plethora of accounts. One particular incident that stands out, for example, is that of farm labourer Fred Harrison, who claims he witnessed a strange aerial object on the evening of April 21st while working at New Common Marsh Farm. According to his statement, at around 9.45pm, a strange whirring noise caused him to look upward. 
when he did so, he could see the strange airship. And what's more, the fields all around him were illuminated by lights from this huge craft. The long dark airship was only slightly above the trees, meaning Harrison could see the vehicle in full detail. He would estimate it to be around 100 feet long. Furthermore, he could clearly see two men on a kind of hanging platform below the main object. He would continue that. The searchlight lit up the road, the farm buildings, the trees and everything it touched. So much so that it was like day. It was travelling very fast against the wind and it was so out of sight in a few minutes. Indeed, once it was gone, Harrison would continue on with his shift before making his report. Only three nights later, however, at around 8pm, a group of people witnessed a strange object hovering over Ipswich in Suffolk. The sightings and the newspaper reports of them began to become a daily feature. Many theories would be put forward to account for and explain these strange happenings. Some would suggest that they were down to nothing more than a simple hoax carried out with balloons, string and simple trickery. Others, however, would speculate that the airships were spies, possibly German, in the build-up to what would eventually be the First World War. Reports of the sightings would continue to surface and appear in the press. According to the Daily Express, a London solicitor, Mr Strange, witnessed a bizarre airship one evening in May 1909 and would make a report directly to the War Office. Several nights later, the same newspaper would report on a sighting of a Burley House, an historic building in Exeter. On the night of May 9th, the owner of the house, Mr Coral, the Marquis of Exeter, would claim the sighting occurred around 11pm. A strange light would rise and fall several times in the night sky. Cole would eventually manage to ascertain that the light came from a dark cigar shape in the sky. Judging from where the light was when he first noticed, and where it was only several moments later, Cole would recall that the object must have been moving quickly before it eventually disappeared out of his sight. On the same evening, 20 minutes later, Southend-on-Sea resident Miss Beauville would also witness a strange object overhead. She would report that she was closing her bedroom window when she saw a large dark object looming out of the sky. Although the night sky was dark, she was certain of the solid nature of the object, and what's more, she could clearly make out the torpedo shape as it hovered motionless overhead. After remaining still for several minutes, the airship began to rise, eventually moving off towards the coast and London. As it moved, several bright beams from its searchlights pierced the night sky. Unlike many of the other witnesses, Miss Boville didn't witness any potential pilots, nor was she close enough to hear any engine noise. However, she did recall how it moved very steadily and swiftly. Interestingly, the sightings of May 9th would draw the harshest criticism yet from certain members of the press. They would highlight how if the witness statements were to be believed and the sightings occurred only 20 minutes apart, that would make the airship's average speed in excess of 200 miles per hour. While many of the sceptical parts of the press would state this to be proof of mistaken sightings, a hoax or even some kind of mass delusion, it should perhaps force us to ask two questions. Was the craft's estimated speed accurate? And if so, does that suggest that technology was indeed from another world given how far ahead it really would have had to have been at the time? Or might it suggest that such aerial secret technology was already in the hands of the world's governments, decades before they were released into the public domain? This latter suggestion would fit very nicely with the notion from whistleblowers from some of the United States' more recent black-budget projects, that wherever the public thinks they are, the military and intelligence agencies, behind closed doors, are likely 30 years ahead. 
Furthermore, might the two sightings simply mean there were more than one of these strange airships hovering around the United Kingdom? These suggestions would do little to calm a discreet but growing fear of some kind of imminent invasion. However, the notion that the airships were the result of a foreign agency looking to invade were also pretty much dismissed. After all, how could such an agency gather any worthwhile intelligence in the dark, unless of course, and for the sake of argument, they had technology much more advanced than most were aware of. As the sightings were reaching a peak of sorts, they would come to a sudden end, or at least reporting of them would. On May 21st, 1909, following an intervention by Lord Northcliffe, the then owner of the London Daily Mail. He would claim that the reports, and more specifically the talking points they created, were making German-English relations ever more difficult. By June 1909, sightings had seemingly ceased altogether. This is perhaps an interesting and quiet but important detail. If, for example, the intelligence behind the airship sightings, whether extraterrestrial or not, was disconnected to the authorities, then we would imagine that they would have continued their flights over the country regardless of the words issued by Lord Northcliffe. Although there were isolated reports from New Zealand during the winter of 1908, a month-long period in July 1909 was rife with airship sightings right across the country. The largely agreed-upon first report would come from the Clutter Free Press. They would claim on July 11th, multiple witnesses claimed to have witnessed a bizarre airship making its way over Stirling. What's more, the Clutter leader would claim to the newspaper that the airship appeared at the same place every Sunday. Another report of the strange airships came on July 24th, when several boys playing on the beach at Kaka Point witnessed a huge illuminated object moving about in the air. The object's lights were so bright that when they shone down, they would easily pick out the features and houses below. Fearing the airship could see their lantern and was heading for them, the boys became scared and ran. It would eventually disappear from their sight. They would, however, describe it as oblong-shaped and at least as big as a house. The following evening, the object was reported in the same location, this time by two witnesses, Mr Smith and Mr Poulter. Looking through a telescope at the time, Mr Poulter would first witness a strange craft at around 10.30pm. He would call to his colleague, who would witness it also. He would describe it as a dark superstructure with a powerful headlight and two smaller ones at the side. The object eventually headed out to sea. From there, it either disappeared over the horizon or into the water. Furthermore, according to Mr Smith, the same craft appeared every night for the past week at the beach in question. As in the United Kingdom several months previously, sightings would continue, and they would occur regularly. Over the skies of the town of Kelso on the afternoon of July 23rd, several school children witnessed an airship hovering over their school for several minutes. Each of the schoolboys would face questions separately regarding the sightings, and each would produce a sketch of them. Each would produce almost identical drawings and tell an almost identical account. Furthermore, they hadn't had a chance to speak prior to the arrangements implemented by the quick-thinking school staff. Interestingly, the schoolboys, like many of the United Kingdom sightings, were claimed to see a box under the main body of the craft. However, they didn't see any occupants. Furthermore, upon comparing their answers, all agreed that the airship was very dark, almost black in colour. The following day came another airship sighting over Kelso. This time, around six miles from the school, twelve tradesmen were working when they noticed a cigar-shaped craft with a carriage on the underside making its way through the sky. 
Each had telescopes or binoculars with them, and each would use them to get a clearer view of the strange vehicle, which remained in view for several minutes. The newspaper would even receive a letter from a reader claiming to have knowledge of a crashed airship at Port Molyneux. No other details are available, however, and we simply do not know if the claim is authentic or not. In their July 30th, 1909 edition, the Clutter Leader would report on an incident that took place several days earlier on July 27th in the region of Blau Clutter. The report would state that two men, Mr Mitchell and Mr Wright, witnessed a large boat-shaped structure overhead at around 10am on the day in question. As it moved, it seemingly changed in their direction, and it would dip up and down in the air. It eventually changed direction again and disappeared into the distance. The following day, on July 28th in June Din, a local resident was awoken by a noise he first believed was an earthquake. He would recall it a little after 2am. He would describe the noise as like a ship dragging her anchor on the ground. When he made his way to the front window, he could clearly see a big black thing with searchlights attached to it. Yet another 24 hours later, on July 29th, more reports would come in. This time, multiple witnesses in Tumaru would report a light heading inland from the sea. Behind this large headlight were two smaller lights. As it came closer still, the cigar-shaped body of an airship-type craft was seen. On this occasion, as opposed to searching the ground with its searchlights, they seemingly swept the skies around them. Interestingly, on the same evening, two women would report a cigar-shaped craft in the Wakaka district of Southland. They would further claim that the searchlights would sweep the area and change from white to red to violet to green and then to orange. On the same evening, on the west coast of the South Island, several train passengers would watch as they approached Greymouth as a bizarre light was seemingly heading toward them. As soon as the train pulled into Nelson Creek Station, passengers would flood from the train and onto the platform in order to get a better view of the strange object. It finally came to a halt just above the breakers of the shore. It remained there, hovering quietly for several minutes. Then, going into a strong wind to boot, it moved away from the scene. The following morning, at a little after 5am, came yet another sighting. And this one, at least according to the Gore Standard newspaper, would feature another near landing of these bizarre but intriguing airships. The incident occurred in the Wikaka Valley, just outside of the town of Gore. Two lights would come out of the mist that morning, then the apparent platform on which stood two men. The craft continued onwards out of the mist. It was clear that it was one of the now much talked about airships. The object would circle around the valley several times, although not quite landing. It would then shoot upwards at great speed and vanish. A strange yellow glare was visible on the morning haze for several minutes following the speedy departure. Interestingly, on the same date as the apparent Macaca Valley incident, the Clutha leader of Grigar would release a theory as to the nature of the sightings through an open letter published in the newspapers. He would claim that the mysterious lights could be a visitation from beings from another world. In short, to these highly advanced visitors, we humans are likely nothing more than primitive at best. Despite this, Grigar would also state that it was his belief that humanity need not be afraid of these visitors. Furthermore, he offered that they had likely travelled here through space in something similar to an airtight container, perhaps one containing compressed air from their atmosphere so as to keep them alive during their journey. 
Drago's proposals are merely speculation. It does, however, put forward the notion that the airships themselves might be nothing more than scout or terrestrial aircraft, ones that have come to Earth from some huge motherships on which these cosmic visitors arrived. With the New Zealand sightings at their absolute peak, Drago would finish on a blunt note. He would claim that thousands of watchers are now on the lookout. Once more, there was a considerable divide as to what the true cause of the airship sightings was. Some were very happy to go along with the idea of visitors from space landing in New Zealand. Many others, though, would once more point to the Zeppelin experiments that were taking place in Germany at the time. Of course, not all researchers remain convinced that the airship sightings are a case of extraterrestrial craft, nor do they think they are proof of tests for a secret and highly advanced aerial vehicle. Some researchers point to the sightings as offering proof not of alien life, but of travelling across time or dimensions. For example, some researchers, perhaps most notably Jack Valet, would point to the many interactions, from verbal, often spoken in the native language of English, to such trades as dollar bills and relevant currency. These all point to either people in their own contemporary era, or visitors who were familiar with the era in which they were going. Such a notion would fit equally well into both theories of time travel and crossing dimensions or realms of existence. Might this also explain why the sighting seemingly took place in several specific waves, seemingly moving across their chosen locations before disappearing elsewhere? Whether it is of consequence or not, it is perhaps interesting to note that a great many of the sightings would take place between 10pm and 11pm in the northern hemisphere of the United States and the United Kingdom, while many appear to have occurred between 10am and 11am in the New Zealand sightings in the southern hemisphere. It is also worth considering reports of what we would consider to be men in black encounters throughout the 1909 waves. UFO researcher Ray Bosch would claim that several witnesses to the 1909 airship sightings received ominous visits from the equally ominous men in black. Interestingly, Bosch would also claim that on several occasions during the airship sightings across America, strangers would often appear out of nowhere to reclaim an artifact dropped or left by the crew of the aircraft. If there is a genuine men in black connection, does that make the airship sightings most definitely of extraterrestrial involvement, or should we perhaps reassess the men in black, and where they fit in the web of conspiracies and cover-ups that make up the modern world, and indeed the past? Given the amount of time that has passed since, such claims are virtually impossible to verify and authenticate. They are, however, extremely intriguing and it would appear of some importance in terms of understanding what these strange aerial vehicles were travelling around the world in the late 1800s and early 1900s. There is indeed a lot to think about, and more possibilities than we might at first think. So, just what should we make of these three waves of strange airship sightings at different locations around the planet? Were these waves the result of visitation by intelligent life from another world? Or might they have been very human, but time travellers from somewhere in the future, or even in the very distant past, perhaps part of a now lost civilization? Or might the sightings be top secret experiments of individuals, organisations and even governments, looking to test what was then cutting edge aviation technology? Indeed, to some, this latter suggestion is perhaps the most likely. However, the sightings will remain, for the most part, unexplained, simply due to the amount of time that has passed since the waves occurred. For now, I will simply thank you for joining me, and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments and check out the links for further reading on some of the cases we have been discussing here today.
Remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And if there is anything you want us to feature in future podcast episodes, then simply get in touch at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care. Thank <music> you.